everybody. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, Lakeside, welcome. Uh, we have called together as God's people. And the first thing I want to say today is a very obvious thing, which is happy Mother's Day. So many moms out there. We wish you were here. We wish we could celebrate with you. If you are a, a husband today, you need to make lunch. You need to make dinner. You need to rub mom's feet or do whatever she wants. She's in charge today. Um, so happy Mother's Day to you all. Uh, this last week, uh, we on Thursday, we celebrated the National Day of Prayer, and many of us spent special times throughout the day lifting up our country in prayer, and kind of what a time it was for that, uh, to think through what our country is going through with this quarantine. I had the opportunity to go with Ray Leninger, and, and this is the third year in a row we've been able to do this, but there's something called prayer flight. And what prayer flight is, is, is that there are planes that fly over the capitals of all 50 states and, and pray. And Ray, for years, has been involved in this. And for the last three, I've had the privilege of, of flying over the capital and, and just praying for our city and praying for our county and our state and our country and our world in the midst of all that's happening. But now I want to tell you that you're at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed. And I want to call you to worship uh, through the Apostles' Creed. So uh, join with me in this. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence you shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Indeed, good morning, Lakeside. Um, I, I do want to encourage you um, in your prayers this week to make special prayer um, for the Delta Streets Academy. Uh, this is a ministry that was actually birthed out of um, a, a member here at Lakeside. And uh, it, it outreaches uh, with a, a quality um, education from a Christian perspective um, to young men, grades 7 to 12, in um, the Delta. And uh, in fact, uh, what would be for many of you yesterday, it's Saturday, um, uh, James Poulin um, and a number of our young men are, are, were able to go up to Delta Streets and help them um, with uh, some work they needed done up there. And so we've helped them throughout the years. It's, it, we continue to support them in many ways with our prayers and, 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 and finances. And so uh, I do want to encourage you to maybe lift them up uh, in prayer uh, this week. The prophet Daniel sees in a vision, and he says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. 
His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. He continued to look and saw also one coming with the clouds of heaven. There came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, with the great Apostle, we cry out, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and inscrutable His ways. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Father, it is our great duty and privilege to rejoice in You. You have given us the gift of faith to see and enter your kingdom, to be translated from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light, to be children of God, no longer children of wrath. With this faith, give us also the gift of godly sorrow for our sins and the repentance that leads to living a godly life. Father, teach us to find our contentment in your Son to count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord, that we may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. In all your blessings and both our pleasures and our pains, perfect Christ in us, even as you have established him in us. Give us the grace to be thankful in all things being renewed in the spirit of our minds, enlightened to the hope of our glorious calling, trusting that your spirit within us is the guarantee of your faithfulness, that the promises of the eternal covenant are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Father, our confidence that we can come to you safely and with full assurance that you hear our petitions is this. Jesus Christ has died for our sins, was buried and was raised on the third day. And so we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Church, the psalmist says, Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Amen. Let's prepare to hear the word of God. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it, 
Like I said, uh, I, I hate it that we aren't together uh, in person. And, and I've heard from a lot of you, you hate it too, man. Listen, we're longing, and I could tell we're running out of patience with what's happening in our country, and we're wanting to be together. And our session is meeting this Wednesday night. That's our elders. We're meeting this Wednesday night to really talk about the, the things we're looking for in order to start uh, opening the church up again and in uh, ways in which we can do it very safely. So, so listen, have hope. We are preparing for a future of being together again, and hopefully that'll come very soon. Uh, we're, we're always weighing those options. Um, I want to start our sermon today by just kind of recapping a little bit of where we've been. Uh, we've been reading through the book of Signs, which really is the, the first half of the Gospel of John. And it's called the book of Signs because in the first half of the Gospel of John, you have these seven miraculous signs of Jesus. Uh, and the ones that we've looked at so far is we've seen Jesus change water into wine in Cana. We, we've seen him healing an official's son. And then uh, last week, we, we saw this healing of a pool at a pool in Bethesda of a man who had been lame for 38 years. And, and every time we, we look at these uh, great signs of Jesus, we ask the same question. What, what is the sign? And what does the sign point to? Because one of the things we've established is that the job of a sign is to point to someone. So this week's sign that we're going to read and talk about together is the feeding of the 5,000. Now, now here's the deal with the feeding of the 5,000. You all know that story. You know it really, really well. It's one of the first stories you've ever heard. Like when you were a kid and y'all had those little foam boards and, and the felt boards, and you, you had all the things. You were learning just the basic Bible stories. You, you would read about the resurrection. You'd read about the empty tomb. You'd read about Zacchaeus it was a wee little man climbing up a tree. Remember, those are the stories. And right there with that, you had the feeding of the 5,000. So here's the question how should a preacher like me approach a text that we are all so familiar with? Like at some point, is it boring to you? Uh, do you ask yourself, like, uh, I know all these details. Why is he teaching that? Um, I, I want to show you some, some pictures from my office. Um, here's, a, here's one of my favorite pictures of my children. And, and I keep this in my office. And, and as you can tell here, uh, maybe you can't, I don't know. There, there's a picture of my son and he's in baseball uniform, but he's got some kind of a superhero cape and he's got a, a homemade cardboard shield and a sword in his hand. And he's fighting my daughter who has another cardboard uh, shield in her hand and she's got a, another sword and it says family memories of a lifetime. And, and listen, I remember this like it was yesterday. It's burnt into my brain and occasionally I will walk past it and I will just pick it up because I want to see it again. Another picture that I have for my office is, is this picture. And it's a picture of, of one of the happiest days of my entire life. It's, it's, it's my wedding. And you can see here, if you can see this far, you can see my mom and my dad and my beautiful bride. Uh, and I can't believe her parents uh, gave me permission to marry her. She was 22. I was 23. There's my little sister and I will oftentimes pick this picture up and look at it, and it will remind me of why uh, I love my wife so much, and I love my parents so much, and I love my sister so much. I just see these things about them and see these memories, and I recall them, and it's special to me. And I, I show you these pictures to tell you how I think about some of these Bible stories, some of these well-known stories. Um, these pictures remind me of why I love my family. And these well-known Bible stories remind me of, of why I love Jesus. And so that's why I, I want to press forward with something that I know we all know in the feeding of the 5,000 because it is a beautiful picture 
of why we love Jesus. Uh, that being said, it can be difficult to preach these old texts, or the, especially the ones that we're all so familiar with, uh, because everyone knows all the details already. There is a story of a young man who was, uh, he was graduating seminary, and his home church from back in his hometown invited him to come in and, and to preach a little bit. And he was going to preach on this very topic, the feeding of the 5,000. And, and so he, he really went to work. He, he, he wrote out a sermon. He memorized it. Uh, he, he had great points. And his plan was he was going to have a very dramatic introduction. He had this whole way he was going to get it started, and everyone was going to be moved by it. Um, so he got himself psyched up. And, and as he began, it, it went something like this. Jesus took 5,000 loaves of bread and 2,000 fishes, and he fed five people. And, and after he made this dramatic introduction, the crowd kind of started giggling. And it, it, listen, he couldn't figure out what he had done wrong. He, and, and, and so he, he was kind of looking around, what, what? And one man in the back, uh, this man was named George. George raised his hand and said, uh, sir, I think I could do that. And, and, and the preacher said, well, well that's blasphemous. How are, who are you to say that you could do what only Jesus could do? And then George began to explain to him his mistake that he had said, well, if I had 5,000 loaves of bread and 2,000 fish, I think I could feed five people. And the preacher realized he'd said it all wrong. He'd gotten the numbers wrong. He was embarrassed. And, and he, he kind of sunk back in, came down off the, from the pulpit, sunk down, and, and was just there in his shame. And, and this was a great church. It was much like Lakeside. And so, so all the people were sweet to him. They gathered around. They said, hey, listen, don't give up. Work on it. Come back next week. Preach it again. I bet you'll be just fine. We want you to succeed. And so the next week he came back. He was raring to go and excited. He, was, he made sure he knew it right this time. And so he got up at the pulpit and he said, Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fishes and he fed 5,000 people. Could you do that? And the crowd was smiling. at they like, yes. You got it right that time. It's all, the, all, all like your grandmother out there. Everyone's just rooting for him to succeed, except for that one guy, George. And, and every church has a George, right? We've got a George. You know what I'm talking about. And from the back, again, he raised his hand, and, and, and the preacher was upset. He's like, George, I got it right this time. What's the deal? And George says, I, I think I could feed him. And he goes, well, that's blasphemous. How can you say you can feed 5,000 people with five fish and, and, and or five loaves of bread and two fish? How can you say that? It's blasphemous. And, and George said, it's easy. I just use your leftovers from last week's sermon. And that, you know, so we all have a George. We all know this is a tough, uh, a tough uh, section to, to preach. Um, but, but let's go ahead anyway. I, I, let's make a deal. I'll stop slamming my hands on the pulpit. And, uh, and you look over any minor mistakes I might make this week as we move forward. And, uh, and we can look at this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And maybe it'll be the same way we look at our old photos. We can find something that we really remember that we love about Jesus. Um, so, so let's do this. We're going to be reading together from John 6, verses 1 through 15. Um, as I bring that scripture up, I want to I pray with you. Let's pray together. Father, we do come uh, to your word and we desire to be fed by it. We desire to find uh, the bread of life as we come to your scripture. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord uh, in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. 
which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing the large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew that he would, or what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up all the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. But when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and to make him king, Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the reasons that this feeding of the 5,000 was one of the early, earliest stories you ever learned about in the Bible, one of the reasons it's so frequently taught is that it's one of only two miracles that appear in all four of the Gospels. Uh, can you guess what the other miracle that, that appears in all four of the Gospels is? It's the resurrection. Um, so all of the four Gospel writers record this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. You know, historically, it's hard to discredit something where there were 5,000 witnesses there. I guess if you had just a few people, you could discredit them. But, but when there's thousands of witnesses to a miracle, it's going to be hard to deny the fact that it happened. And it's going to be recorded in, in several places. Scholars will say that this crowd was, uh, when, when they counted the crowd, they really only counted the men back then. And so that if you really want an accurate figure of how many people were there, you have to add in all the women and all the children. And if you do this, you know, it could have numbered as much as 20,000 people there. Uh, but Jesus really, I mean, he's not in the mood for crowds today. That's what I need you to understand. On this day, Jesus was not really in the mood for crowds. Have you ever felt that way before? Like personally, have you ever felt like, I'm, I don't need the crowds today. I, I just kind of need to be alone. Uh, it's kinda, that's kind of one of the points of the story that gets often overlooked, that Jesus is actually trying to get away from the crowd. You see, uh, Jesus just received word that someone that he loved very much, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. And I know you know what it feels like to get some kind of news like that that hits you in the stomach and takes your breath away, and you just don't want to be with people right then. You want to be alone or maybe with some really, really close friends. And so if we'll put up Mark 6, 31, here's what I want you to read. Jesus is with his disciples, and he, he says to them in the midst of all the crowd that's around him, he says, hey, you guys, you know, come away by yourselves 
to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to eat. Imagine, if you will, the ministry of Jesus is, is so popular, and, and so many people were desiring what Jesus had to give, uh, that Jesus and his disciples couldn't even take a break to eat a meal. And so Jesus just needed to escape the crowd in the midst of this news, in the midst of the, the workload. Have you, ever, have you ever felt like that? You just need to get away for a second. And listen, what I'm, what I'm assuming right now is some of y'all are thinking, man, right now uh, I just like to be with a crowd, not like to escape one. Like I've been alone so much, but that's not where Jesus was in this story. Jesus was in mourning over the death of a friend. And Jesus recognized that his disciples needed a Sabbath from the crowd. Have you ever, ever tried to ditch a crowd like in your life? Ever tried to lose a crowd? Maybe uh, like you've been out with a whole, whole bunch of people. And today's just not a good day for you to be with a bunch, a bunch of people. And, uh, and you, you want to you get alone or, or maybe you just want to be with a, a, a few close friends uh, but the group, the whole group, the big crowd all wants to join you wherever you go. And, and so as you try to make plans to go with just with a few people, the other people in the crowd go, where are y'all going? Going back to your house? Okay, we'll meet there. And, and someone in your friend group that you're trying to get alone with says, ah, oh, no, we're all just, we're tired. We're all going back to our homes. But you know, like you're going to meet up later, and, and, but you're just trying to ditch the crowd. I think that there's a point in which that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to ditch the crowd. He's, he's not trying to lie, but he is trying to get away from all these people. And all these people want to go with him. And so Jesus and his disciples, they get on a boat. And uh, they look at the crowd. They go, sorry, guys, there's only room for 13. Uh, the boat's full. And they're going to sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And what does the crowd do? Well, if you read Mark 6.33, it suggests that the crowd, they, they figure out where the boat is heading and they strap on their Nikes, I guess. I mean, no, they got sandals. Can you imagine this? And this is just a really an amazing thought for me that there's 20,000-ish people, 5,000 men or something recorded, and if they all strap on their Nikes, they go, we know where he's going. And they start running. And they beat him to the point in which they're going. They get there faster than Jesus. And so, so when Jesus and the disciples arrive at their destination where they're trying to be alone, the crowd's already there you do in this situation they came all this way to be alone and the crowd can't take a hint but listen i don't blame them if i had the chance to chase after jesus i'm probably running too and uh, let's look back at the gospel of john verse 2 so so john 6 2 and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick did you catch that What's the motivation of this crowd that's, that's running to, to find Jesus? Uh, they had seen his signs and they had seen his miracles and his healings, and that's what they wanted from Jesus. They wanted the signs. They wanted the miracles. They weren't there necessarily for what Jesus could offer their soul or for, or for him. They wanted uh, the healings and the food that he could provide. Now, here's the beautiful part of the story. I want to look at verses 5 and six, five and six. Uh, lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, 
where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. Jesus is pursued by the crowd that they get him. He's seeking solitude, and he's mourning, and he's, and he's, he's sorrowful, and yet, and yet, here he is. He's filled with compassion for the crowd once he sees them. You know, one of the great gifts of Scripture is to be able to look at, you know, kind of like I talked about looking at a picture of my family and remembering what it is that I love about them. One of the great things about Scripture is being able to look at a picture of Jesus, an image of Jesus, and being reminded what he's like and what it is that we love about him. And the thing that I love about him right now is to be reminded of his compassion. When, when I pastored a church in Texas, there was a, there was a couple in my church that I really enjoyed. They were, they were a great, great couple. And one day I got a call that, uh, that the husband was in the hospital and that he was at the end of his life. And so I, I got in the car and I ran out there to try to, to see him in his final moments. And I, I went to the nursing station. And they pointed me towards his wife. And they also let me know that the husband had already died. And I, I myself was brokenhearted because he was an important man to me. That paled in comparison to what his wife must have been feeling like. Um, 50 years of marriage. And uh, as she saw me enter the room, and she said, Tyson, you shouldn't have come. You're so busy, but I'm so glad that you're here. My husband loved you so much. It would mean so much to him to know that you were here. And then, I kid you not, she goes, have you eaten? And, and do you want to sit down? And listen, had I not known this woman so well, had I not known her heart was so true, I would have thought maybe she was in denial. I would have been insulted that she kept focusing on me in this loss. Like, like it made it really, in a sense, it made it really awkward, but, but I knew who she was. I knew who Christ had made her. She was the kind of woman who, even in her sorrow, was trying to meet the needs of the people all around her when her husband had just died. You had to know her. That's just the way that the Lord had made her. In every circumstance, good times, bad times, inconvenient times, in the face of death, she was compassionate. And in that way, she was a lot like Jesus. And, and I give thanks for her this morning. Uh, her, current, her current sufferings, whatever she was going through, didn't keep her from showing compassion to other people. And so when I look at this picture of Jesus this morning, when we hold up this scripture, the one thing I see is that no matter what Jesus was going through, he had this compassion for people. And so I guess my question is, how about you? Right? How are you doing with all this stuff in the world? The corona, the quarantine, the sin, the death. I mean, uh, it's no fun, huh? And I think, I think it, it might be really easy for us to be so caught up in our, in our present sufferings that we lose our compassion and our focus on ministering to others. And I think that one of the things we can see in Jesus today is that even in his suffering, he was loving and compassionate to others. Um, we're reminded uh, of his character, of his concern for them. Jesus says to Philip, he says, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? Scripture tells us, that Jesus is testing Philip. Uh, after all, you know, Philip had been around Jesus a little bit. He's seen some of these other miracles Jesus has done. He should know that, that Jesus could do all these things. But Philip was still learning. So in verse 7, Philip, 
answers him. So we put verse 7 up there. It says, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So that's about seven months of wage. So he's saying, if we took seven months of what a worker would make, the crowd is so big that, that all we could afford is for everyone to have just a nibble of food. Now, you know this story, don't you? There in verse 9, Andrew says this. There is this boy who's got five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus tells his disciples to have the crowd sit down, sit down. And Scripture says that after giving thanks, Jesus distributes the bread and fish to those who were seated. And in verse 12, we read, When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples to gather over the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So so a few observations. Scripture says that the crowd ate their fill there in, in, in John. If we look at Mark 6, what we see is that Scripture says that the crowd was satisfied. People weren't just nibbling. You know what? They were feasting. They were, being, they were being full. They were finding themselves satisfied. Jesus was providing for all their needs and then some. And the second thing I want you to notice is, is that there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Jesus collects it all. He, he's not wasteful. And, and, and one of the most interesting things is there's way more leftover than we ever started with. We started with, 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 with six loaves and two fish. And now we've got 12 baskets full of leftovers. There's no doubt among the crowd that they've just seen one of the miraculous signs of Jesus that everyone is talking about. They've participated in it. They've been recipients of Christ's compassion. There's an old story about uh, Colonel Harlan Sanders. You know, you know Colonel Sanders? He's the founder of KFC. Uh, and he's on a flight with, with um, it doesn't say where, but he's on a flight. And, and there's a woman who has a baby and the baby keeps crying. And if you've ever traveled with a crying baby, you know what that can be like. And uh, the mother tries to comfort the baby. She can't comfort the baby. The stewardess tries to comfort the baby. She can't comfort the baby. And finally, finally, Colonel Sanders tries to comfort the baby and he takes the baby in his arms and he's able to, to, to sway the baby to sleep. And in my mind, Colonel Sanders is a creepy dude and there's no way that that should work. No way at all. Like, but it does. And he gets the baby to quit crying. He hands the baby back to the mother and one of the other passengers said, uh, thank you. Thank you for doing that for all of us. It was so hard to listen to the baby cry. Thank you for doing that for all of us. From all of us, we appreciate it. And, and Colonel Sanders looks at her and says, I didn't do it for us. I did it for the baby. And that's, that's compassion. You're not trying to not be annoyed. You're trying to take care of people who are hurting. This was an old family portrait of Jesus. We looked at this text. And the thing I would want you to see is that Jesus is Compassionate even to a crowd that that, that at first he was trying to avoid. He's compassionate. Not just then, but even today in our world for us. Jesus is is compassionate when we run after him. I mean, I just want you to stop for a moment and to be thankful and to praise Jesus for the compassion that he has shown you in your life. Listen, you're at home. You're not in the church today. 
But, but the one thing that's good for you on the Sabbath is to give thanks for the compassion that Jesus is sitting there in your chair, wherever you are with your family. Jesus has shown you and me great compassion. And, and here's what I, what I want to end up with today. I want to ask those questions that we're asking every week. What is the sign in this story? And, and what does that sign point to? The job of signs is to point towards something. Week after week, these are the two questions that we ask. Uh, so quite simply, let me say this. The sign is the miraculous feeding of thousands of people with only five loaves and two fishes. If someone does something like this, it's a sign. It's a miracle that only a, a creator can do. Jesus is actually creating more bread and fish. He just, he just keeps on passing it out. And as he's passing, he's creating and he's creating. You can't do that unless you have the power to create out of nothing. And in the end, Jesus, if you think about it, he's created so much that there's an abundance. That's the sign. What does that sign of the feeding of the 5,000 point to? What's it trying to say? Where is it trying to lead us? So first, I want to suggest that it points backwards, right? Remember what God did for his people when he led them out of exile and they were there in the wilderness and they were hungry. God the Father made for his people manna from heaven and it fed them and it met their needs and it was compassionate. Uh, this crowd would have experienced Jesus feeding in much the same way. They would have thought about this as like, like who can make out of nothing and meet our needs? Who does this out of this kind of compassion? Listen, there's a, there's a big part of this sign that points to Jesus being one with the Father. They both have this great compassion. They, grow, they both have this great power to create substance for our benefit, and it sustains us. So I guess a question for you this morning is, uh, do you believe that God the Father and Christ the Son have the power to meet your needs? And not just the power, but also the compassion to do so, because that's what this sign points to. So every one of you who have lost your jobs or, or every one of you who is running out of hope, this miracle of Jesus, this sign says, run after Jesus you will find his compassion and he will meet your needs. That's what the sign points to. That if you run after him, you're going to find his compassion and that he is going to meet your needs. But it doesn't just point backwards to the manna. It also at the same time points forward. And it points forward to the cross. Remember that night, and, and it's very much a, a, a Eucharist or a communion type teaching. Do you remember that night in which Christ was betrayed? And, and after giving... Thanks, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, Christ is he's breaking the bread and he's passing it out to everyone in order that he might meet their need. And the crowd comes back later. We're not going to get into that today, but I do want you to know that they come back later and they want more bread. And what does Jesus say? He says, listen, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread. I am what you need. Not, not, not just more substance. You need me. Not more signs. You need me. What does he tell his disciples? He says, this is my body broken for you. How does Jesus meet your needs and how does he meet my needs? Well, he meets them on the cross. 
On, on the cross, Jesus, the bread of life, was broken. That just like the manna in the wilderness, and, and just like the bread that he gave to the that Christ gave to the people here when he when he fed the five thousand, Christ might provide for the needs of his people by being the bread of life that is broken on the cross. You want to talk about Christ's compassion? You want to see a picture of why Jesus is worthy of your praise? He feeds the crowd. He meets their needs. His body is broken. That meets my needs. Here is what this picture of Jesus should remind you of today. You should run to Jesus just like the crowd did. You will find His compassion. You will meet all your needs, but your needs are going to be met in Him. Jesus is the prize that meets all of our needs. This is what the sign points to. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your scripture. I know this story is familiar for all of us, Lord, just like the pictures in my office are familiar, but yet I love them. I pick them up. I'm reminded why I love my family, and as we come to these stories, we pick them up and we're reminded of why we love Jesus, this image of his compassion. Christ, we cling to that now. We need it in the midst of all the struggles in our lives. God, may it challenge us as, as part of what we do, we come to Scriptures, try to learn to be like Jesus. Christ, convict us that, that we're not just wallowing in our own self-pity and our own circumstances, that we, we quit being salt and light. I love that about Jesus. Christ, uh, praise be your name. Father, you provided manna for those in the wilderness, Christ. You provided food on this mountain. And, 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 and our triune God provides salvation by the cross. Praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all the church said, Amen. Church, we've been the church gathered around the Word of God. Now go and be the church scattered. And as you do, take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit until we meet once again. Amen.